All right. Yeah, I'm with Steve. I'm one of those guys where I hate wearing the mask. Uh, but, you know, I know what the scriptures say. And we're going to get into the scripture on basically when to obey the government. So this isn't going to be, this is going to be a lot of scripture on what do we do with the government, you know, and, and you know, and, and what the governing authorities say. And what does Jesus teach? We're Christians. We're going to follow what he teaches and the apostles teach. Amen. And we have to do that. So it's interesting when you look at the, the scripture. I mean, there's a lot of personal things. You know, I'm talking to Rich Myers when I came in here uh, doing the first service. And uh, he was like, man, I hate him too because, you know, you got, I got to smell my breath and it just comes back on me. And I said, Rich, I brush my teeth, bro. That helps a lot, man. You know, but uh, anyway, kidding aside, uh, it's important that we understand what the scriptures say. And, and it's interesting because us elders, you know, uh, I've had a really, really busy week and we have a, we, we, you know, we have a thread we share on with each other because we're not able to see each other like we used to as far as before the whole COVID thing goes on, you know, and, and uh, we still see each other. I just spent a lot of time with Steve recently, and, uh, but we're, we're talking and so forth. And I got on the thread and it, the thread, we're basically in agreement, you know, with, yeah, we've got to, you know, follow the Lord, but we have to also obey the government unless they tell us to contradict what the Lord says, amen. And and I'm sure if you sat us all four down in a room, we talked for two hours about this, that we would have little disagreements as far as how that may apply in certain situations. But we all want the furtherance of the gospel. We want to exalt King Jesus, amen? And we want to preach the gospel unhindered, and uh, we don't want to cause problems that would hinder the sharing of the gospel because of, you know, uh, a, a political position we might have or what have you, you know? Uh, kingdom before politics. Not a little bit, but infinitely above politics. Amen. So it's interesting. Uh, so we, we're all in agreement. There's no qualms with us at all. We're, no, let's not have this or let's have that. And uh, so I just thought it's interesting. We all have one mind because we're all about Jesus. And it's not a hill we're going to die on, you know. It's not a hill to die on. I'll die on standing for life hill, abortion. I'll die on the sanctity of marriage hill as far as if you tell me I can't have my opinion, I'm going to still have what I believe is the word of God. Amen. But to wear a mask or not to wear a mask to me, that's not the hill to die on. I'm going to die on the Jesus hill, amen? So it's interesting. Uh, and we all agree, you know, that, uh, you know, a lot of churches divide over issues that are petty. I used to trip out on how, like, the Amish and Mennonites, there's so many groups of Amish and Mennonites through the years where they break off from each other because they disagree on the side of the head covering that the women are to wear. I'm not kidding. And it's, it's a historical thing. I'm like, wow, that is so sad. How does that even happen? And, you know, and I'm like, how silly it would be if people divided over masks, you know. It's just as petty, you know. So we want to be careful uh, that we don't make this the issue, you know. Why'd your church divide? Well, some people believed you had to have a thicker mask than others, you know. And by the way, my mask is like as thin as it can get. Steve taught me a trick. You can even get the thin ones, which we have. And you can take that little filter out, and you still have the mask. And it's absolutely 100% legal because there's no mandate on how thick it needs to be. Okay, now if they tell me I have to have the filter in, then I'll put the filter in, you know. Because this is a filter in itself. It just had, it was two-ply. Because now I can breathe, you know. And uh, anyway, so, but at the same time, it's important that we don't divide over things like that. And it's important also uh, that Christ comes before any politician comes before what Governor Newsom says. If his word contradicts Newsom's, we go with Jesus. You don't even think twice about it. If his word contradicts cover, uh, President Trump, we obey Jesus. There's no contest, absolutely 100%. And it's important to understand that we're supposed to emphasize 
And, and one of the things I did, I prayed about this, you know, a few weeks back, Lord, on this specific issue. And Lord, show me your heart in this. And right after I prayed, I can't tell you how many scriptures that the Lord just poured upon my heart. It was just like, and it was just confirming over and over and over again that we need to be good examples. We need to be good examples to the, out, the outsiders that don't know Jesus. And we need to represent Jesus to them. And that we don't need to be known as the people that are the non-mass people. That's what they're all about. No, we need to know about people like Jesus Christ is Lord. You better bow down to him because he's coming, people. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be known over, known about. Now, don't, now if people have a political viewpoint on that, that's fine. You can have a political viewpoint and you can even take that up and make a political thing about that. It's between you and God and your politics. But we're not preaching politics here. We're preaching Jesus. And what's the mind of Christ? What's the word of God say about issues regarding the government and where you draw the line and obeying the government and what have you? And it's very, very clear. And also, what does the Lord want regarding believers in these types of issues? He wants us to be unified in Christ. And in Matthew 5, Jesus, Matthew 5, 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Amen. And in 1 Corinthians 1.10, listen to these, how many, much emphasis is on church unity. And by the grace of God, by the pure grace of God, in the 30 years that we've been a fellowship, we have never had like a division in the fellowship by the grace of God. To where you had a factions where a bunch of people left because they were upset with this group and anything like that, you know. And that's because we preach the word of God strong. And we, we, when issues come up, we deal with them scripturally as scripturally as possible, so we can be unified. We're not one of those groups that says, oh, we just, you know, it doesn't matter what the Word of God says, you know, and you have 50 false doctrines in the church, everybody, because it's just more into experience than truth. No, we're into truth. But truth, when you emphasize truth, you have unity by those who love truth. In fact, when Jesus emphasizes and prays that the church would be one, right, it wasn't this mamby-pamby ecumenism. It was based on on his prayer where he also says, sanctify them by thy truth. We're set apart by his word. Amen. And we just had, by the way, I, did, I forgot to mention it, so I'll mention it right now. We have a really cool four-part series, speaking of truth, on Bethel that we did. Bethel or Bethel. And uh, it's four parts. Is it the fourth part that shows this Friday, Tony, Chad? Yeah, fourth part shows this Friday. And we've been getting a ton of views. In fact, usually when you have a two, three, four-part series, talking to chat about this last night. You usually have a certain amount, good amount, and then part two, some people fall off, and then it gets less each time. I think if I'm right, it gets stronger each time with the amount of viewers. It does. They're both giving me the thumbs up. People are really liking it, you know, and, and we've got a lot of responses. I was read, Chad read a bunch of them to me yesterday about people that have said that they stepped down from a worship team, or they've contacted their pastor and said, hey, if we continue to you know, if they're pushing, like we get in the fourth one, is the, is the fourth one that deals with the unbiblical counseling? Yeah, and it, we, we get into the whole thing on uh, mystical counseling, which was basically, is that part three, Tony? Okay, that's part three. That's the last one. The fourth one, they each get better as, as well. I don't know if we designed it that way, but it just came out that way. But you can listen to the last one, it's pretty heavy. And some were into that kind of counseling, and then they saw it, they're like, yeah, this is wrong. We show that the woman who founded this weird type of counseling, and I don't want to get into the depths of it, uh, basically said that she was demon-possessed after she went into a Buddhist temple to, to worship with the Buddhist. And, and one of her uh, associates had to 
supposedly cast this demon out of her. That's where a lot of stuff originates, has very diabolical background. So a lot of people are coming out of that movement from watching it and so forth. So I'm encouraging that. But back to uh, truth. We want to be unified in the truth, amen? And we want to love one another. And we want to be able to, we can disagree with each other on the specifics of the mask or whatever, but we need to love each other, amen? and embrace each other in Christ, even though we won't see eye to eye on everything. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, I appeal to you, this is about Paul by the Holy Spirit, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you all be united in the same mind and the same judgment. You see, unity is not based on just accepting each other regardless of what people believe, but he wants us to, as much as possible, come into unification of what the Word of God teaches in areas. There are certain areas that the Word of God doesn't clearly cover, and that's where we need to have uh, some freedom, amen? When the Scriptures are clear about areas, we need to have unity. Colossians 3.14. And over all these virtues, put, uh, put on love. Over all these virtues, he talks about, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay? I love Psalm, 120, or Psalm 133, 1. David says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace and in the God of love and the God of love and peace will be with you. Ephesians 4, first couple of verses. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you have been called with all humility. We're going to be unified. We need to be humble. We can't be proud and arrogant and always think we've got the right opinion about everything. Uh, and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity. Philippians 1.27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that where I, when I come to see you, or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. We're supposed to be striving in unity to get the gospel out. That's our main mission, is to glorify Jesus, preach the gospel. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Romans 12.16, Live in unity with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own spirit, in your own sight. And that's what the scripture that Steve mentioned earlier is similar is esteem others as higher than yourselves. The Bible says condescend to the man of the lower estate. The Bible says uh, don't just consider your own interests, but the interests of others. And we want to make sure that our, we don't have a, a selfish version of Christianity where it revolves around us and our opinions and we're always right, everybody else is always wrong. Something as fluid as this disease has been with a, with a bunch of opinions on both sides and a bunch of studies, some of them contradicting each other, it's kind of difficult. So we should all have some room for humility and recognize even what some of our convictions might be now, maybe disproved later. So we need to show charity toward one another. Amen? Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such unity with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Peter in 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. A quotation I'm going to give that I love, but you don't hear me quote it because it's always quoted of Augustine, and I'm not a, he's a, one of the fathers of the Roman Catholic Church and the persecutions that came thereafter. I'm not a fan at all, but it wasn't Augustine that said this. It was a G German a Lutheran pastor and it's a great saying because it's very biblical. In essentials, unity. 
In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, I'm sorry. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, anybody know what I'm saying? In all things, charity. Isn't that great? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. The scriptures don't speak clear down the area. We need to have some liberty. In all things, whether it's essentials or non-essentials, charity. Love toward one another. That's such a, a brilliant, uh, very biblical saying. And even though I personally do not like wearing masks, okay? I remember going to the gym, working out really hard, trying to get out in and out really quick. And, you know, I go with my mask. I'm assuming you have to have a mask on. I remember leaving. First time I kind of really looked up and saw people as I'm leaving. I noticed that nobody has a mask on. <laughs> and the rule of that gym was when it's, it's not the rule anymore, I'm sure, but you could go in that gym and you don't have to have a mask on. I'd be the first one to take it off. I don't have to have it on. Unless I'm around a really old person or somebody I felt, or, and I'm careful who I'm around, you know, but I, I, try, to, I try to obey the laws, though. Uh, and I'm sometimes in a hurry because I get really, really busy and I forget my mask in my car and I have to go all the way back. You know, I even came in here without a mask, you know. I was like, oh, Lord God, you know, because I get so busy. So, uh, but I try to remember it and try to put it on. If I find I don't have it, then I try to take care of the situation. Now, it's interesting because uh, there's been a lot of studies on the mask now and how they help or don't help. And uh, my daughter, Heather, who just had just become a nurse, but she was a uh, surgical technician for years, you know. And uh, she said, Dad, we have those special masks that the surgeon uses and we use. She goes, like, when we're doing the surgery. And she said, but you know what? We use the same masks that people are using on the streets now that aren't what's the N9. They're not the really good masks. She goes, we use those, too, when we're transporting patients. We don't use the really good ones often. We just use the regular ones because we know they do help somewhat, you know. Ah, that's interesting. A, a study from, uh, that was cited by some professors at UC Davis that I just saw a few days ago that, that, that uh, has been cited, I thought it was interesting because they say, and by the way, when I read these studies and what, it's strong what they're saying. When I'm quoting this, this is not my statement. I want you to understand this is how people perceive those who aren't wearing masks. And this is important because we're supposed to be considerate and consider considering others. But at the same time, I presume I presume that what the, 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 the uh, percentage that he's giving, it could be wrong in three months. Because this thing is so fluid, what if there's more studies? Now, that doesn't mean I just discount the studies either and say, well, it's probably wrong. I don't jump to that conclusion either. But I'm saying, even if you presume, let's presume the numbers are probably skewed and wrong a little bit. How do we approach this from a Christian perspective? How do we obey the scripture? So, UC Davis, I also went to their website to look at what they were saying there. I looked at a couple... Uh, articles on this. Scientific evidence is clear. Social distancing and wearing masks help, helps prevent people from spreading COVID-19. And masks also protect those who wear them. Okay, now it's interesting because before they were saying it just helps the person, you know, uh, perhaps that's not wearing them if you're wearing one. Now they're saying it helps the person wearing them and not wearing, wearing them from putting all the latest studies together. Two UC Davis health experts said uh, on UC, UC Davis Live COVID-19. A range of new research on face coverings shows that the risk of infection for the wearer is decreased by 65%, said Dean Blumberg, chief of pediatric infectious diseases at UC Davis Children's Hospital. On the issue of mask, I'd like to restart this. Now he's quoting Bloomberg. He says, on the issue of mask, I'd like to restart because we've learned a lot. 
We've learned a lot more due to research additional, and additional scientific evidence. What we know now is that masks work and are very important. Uh, he goes on to say, everyone should wear a mask. People who say, I don't believe in masks, I don't believe masks work, are ignoring scientific evidence. It's not a belief system. It's not like saying, it's, it's like uh, saying, I don't believe in gravity. People who don't wear a mask increase the risk of transmission to everyone, not just people they come into contact with, it's all the people those people have contact with. You're being an irresponsible member of the community if you're not wearing a mask, says the UC Davis fellow, right? He goes on to say, it's like double dipping in the guacamole. You're not being a nice, nice to others, you know? Now, what if we find his numbers are skewed and they, they do more tests and it's not 65% chance, better chance you don't get it, but it's only 6.5%, okay? Or it's only 0.065 or whatever. The issue for me is right now, is right now society at large believes that if you're not wearing masks and they've been taught that you're spreading the disease potentially. I saw one lady at a supermarket, I saw a video where the people were freaking out, you know? And there were like 10 or 12 of these people, I don't know how many, and they were yelling at her because she didn't have a mask. And they were all like, get out of here! And it's like, she had the plague, bubonic plague, and she walked in, or she was a zombie, you know? And they're like, get out! And they all got around her, and she, they chased her out of the store. And I'm like, whoa, man! She probably has COVID-19 now, because you're all yelling at her really close, by the way, you know? And I thought, wow, how people are freaking out over this. And so people have that idea that, you know, it, it's, they, they definitely at least have that idea. And that's something we need to be considered about as I move on, because I'm going to tell you right now, there are some viral videos that got out, like uh, along these lines, there was a professing Christian lady that was part of the word faith prosperity movement that God will always protect you. You'll never get sick and you'll always be healed. And I don't, anybody see that video? And she's like boasting about how, I'll never get sick because God will protect me and I don't need a mask and so forth. And it was like, you know, did anybody see that video? You know, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, or my son-in-law, Adam, had uh, shared it with me. And uh, he says his dad had seen it. And he goes, and his, and his dad's a real nice guy, but he's like, I'm sure Joe and your church of Blessed Hope doesn't think like that, right? That I'm sure you guys care about other people and whether you spread it or not. And it's interesting how the, you know, people look at this. So it's quite interesting. And as Christians, we need to go the extra mile because I'm telling you right now, first and foremost, do you know who we are? We're saved by the grace of God. But do you know that our, your position is why God left you on earth? We've had a, I had a message a, a few weeks back or probably two, three months now, about why did God leave us here? He left us here because he's transforming us in the image of Christ. He's using this sandpaper world that we're in, right, to test us, to see if we'll continue in the faith and love him. But he also left us here to reach the lost, amen, as his ambassadors. You know, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world, amen? Paul said our citizenship is in heaven, amen? Jesus said, my kingdom is is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would fight. Why don't we take up swords against the government? Why didn't Paul and the apostles, after Jesus was crucified, take up swords and let's say, let's go butcher Nero because Paul, we know you're going to be beheaded by him later. We can stop that from happening. You don't see the early Christians protesting all kinds of things in front of Caesar's palace, you know. You don't see that happening because they were about being ambassadors. When you're ambassador to another kingdom, what do you do? You represent that kingdom. 
And you bring, and we're supposed to be, and we're the representatives of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Last, and what happens a lot of times when you go to another country, our ambassadors, they will adopt some of the customs of while they're there, you know, let's say there's a head covering worn and the, the ambassador's wife is going among people that have a head covering. They might wear a head covering, not to offend because they're concerned about getting the message of the nation and the, the king or the president that they're representing over to that nation. How much more should we as Christians, knowing that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was, my servants would fight or our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul said, you are ambassadors. How much more should you and I as ambassadors from, for the kingdom of God represent Christ, right? And make sure that we don't get people's focus off of the real issue, which is whether or not they're saved, whether, they, whether they're going to heaven or hell, right? Our whole goal and objective is that you need to bow down to the Lord Jesus Christ, our King, he's coming. And we need to make that the issue. And as I share these scriptures with you, it's gonna be so clear. After I gave this message in the first service, I had a, pretty powerful response from, you know, no names, but great people that were maybe on the other side of the issue afterwards or whatever. One came up to me, made a beeline and said, I'm so convicted now. It's so clear, you know. And uh, the sister that was sitting next to her came up right after her and says, that was the best message. You know, I said it so-and-so because it's so clear when you look at the scripture on this. First and foremost, we need to realize that we represent the king of truth, righteousness, and love. And he said that we'll be known by our love for one another. But this, every, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Because Jesus went around taking, killing the sick, amen, taking care of people. We shouldn't be the last people that are perceived as those who are spreading diseases. Do you understand? Uh, emperor, the Emperor Julian, he's called, his, name was, his nickname was Julian the Apostate. He was a descendant of the Emperor Constantine. And his reign, I think, started around 381. And he hated Christians. He was an apostate who fell away from the faith, rose to power, and he wrote a letter that we have not from church history as much as from the, the annals of Roman history, from their own records, where he writes a letter to a pagan priest who he supports, upset with the impious Galileans. Jesus was from Galilee. He's a Galilean, right? The impious Galileans, he calls them which was supposed to be like a, a derogatory term, even in the first century. What good comes out of Galilee, remember that? You're talking, poor Galilee, four centuries later, calls the Christians impious Galileans because they're taking care of our poor, right? And the Christians were taking care of those who were sick and diseased, showing more love, he says, than you priests. And they're making us look bad. I'm telling you something right now. The Christians were known for their love and for their love for those who were hurting for those who are poor, for those who are diseased. The last thing we want to be known for is we're supposed to be ambassadors for Jesus, spreading the love of the gospel. The last thing we want to know for is we're going to protest Washington over masks. You know, I'm not, that's not the hill I'm going to die on. Now, as far as where we stand individually on masks, that's between you and the Lord. We're going to love each other, right? In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity, love. In John 17, 21, Jesus said, Pray that they may all be one as you, Father, and, are, and, and me, and I and thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world, listen to this, that the world may believe that you have sent me. Did you catch that? We're supposed to be unified in Christ as an apologetic witness so people will know that Jesus Christ is sent as the Son of God. Amen. So our love for one another and our unity in, one, in, in Christ, John 17, 23, a couple verses later, he says, I and them and you and me that they may be perfect, 
uh, perfectly united or perfect in unity. So that the world may know, so that the world may know, so that the world may know that you sent me and have loved them just as you have loved me. So I love this because our unity, which is, by the way, based on truth, because in the same prayer, Jesus said what? Father, sanctify them by thy truth. Amen. That's what true unity is. It's based on God's truth. Amen. And we're supposed to be united in his truth. What, 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 what about when it comes to the government, though? And when the government tells us to do things? We have to be very careful because our old man, our fleshly nature, we're by, by nature rebellious, okay? So you want to make sure that when you're rebellious to the government, it's not really your fleshly nature that you're trying to sanctify. Well, it's because I'm so righteous that I disobey the government. Really? I can show you where the scripture is over and over again, Jesus. Uh, as long as it doesn't contradict God's word, Paul, Peter, all talk about us obeying the laws of the government. And it's even stated that if we rebel against the government, we're really rebelling against God. And I want to make sure that I'm not a rebellion against the Lord in the name of being, you know, free from government laws. We're not free from government laws. Now we're to disobey wholeheartedly the government when it tells us to contradict scripture. Amen? I said a week or two ago when we were told that we can't sing and praise God anymore. You know, we said, hey, guess what? I can wear a mask because that doesn't hurt my faith and my worship. But you tell me not to worship and sing, I'm still praising him anyway. Amen? I'm not going to go right up behind you and sing through my mask, really start on your head and where you're like getting, getting COVID or whatever. But I'm going to still worship God. And I mentioned that last Sunday, the Sunday before. Then I just heard from Steve, he mentioned that that's more of a guideline anyway, a guidance. It's not a law, by the way. So let's praise him anyway. Amen. Now, in uh, Romans 13, if you go there, let's see what the scriptures say as far as, and when, basically, the name of the message is when to obey the government. Okay? So mask is just an example because it's a popular thing that people are batting around right now. But we really need to know this because some Christians will obey the government no matter what, even if it contradicts God's word. That can be soul damning and will be soul damning. Others don't obey the government even when God says to. That could be very dangerous too. Romans 13 verse 1, every person is to be in subjection to what? The governing authorities. What does it mean to be in subjection to governing authorities? It means to be obedient to the governing authorities. Submit to them. For there is no authority except from who? God. And Paul's not just talking about the government as being an auxiliary faction. He's talking about how God uses government as, and now by the way, well, that was when the government was really holy in Paul's day. They were super, they were, they were God-fearing men. Wrong. The emperors wanted to be worshipped. You had to burn incense to some of the Caesars. Paul was beheaded by an emperor called Nero. Not long after he wrote this, he lost his head. Amen? For there's no authority except from God. And those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they also have opposed, uh, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Did you catch that? Ooh, catch that. Therefore, whoever resists authority, talking about the government, has opposed the ordinance of God. You're really breaking God's law. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. That's powerful. So in other words, guess what? If the government's telling us to do something that doesn't contradict God's word, and we say, shine you. We're really opposing God and we're, be, we're becoming like Lucifer. 
I'm saying if it doesn't contradict God's will and God says to obey it and we say no, then we're rebelling to God. Verse three, for rulers are not a cause, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you have praise from the same. For it is, look at verse four, for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God and an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Now think about that. In other words, the, governor, the, govern, the government bears, doesn't bear the sword in vain. And if you look at that government, man, it was, by the way, what do you think was more messed up? Our government with regard to freedoms for Christians or the government in the first century under Nero, which came just after this, this letter? It was far more oppressive uh, because guess what? We can worship freely. We can share the gospel freely. There were 10 ways of persecution under different Roman emperors, at least, uh, who were very restrictive of sharing the gospel. Sometimes that was forbidden. Sometimes you were put to death as Christians were under Nero. Not long after this, Paul the Apostle, as I mentioned, gets beheaded. Nero blames the Romans, the fires in Rome against the Christians, says it's because of their, their worship of, of, because they were atheists. We were called atheists in the first century because we didn't believe and follow in the Roman gods. But guess what? The Christians said, no, we're not going to bow down to Caesar and worship Caesar and burn incense to Caesar. But I think it's really interesting because in the second century, Justin Martyr, one of the early church fathers, and we, some call Justin Martyr the top apologist of the second century. Uh, some call Irenaeus. I love Irenaeus. I love Jer- Jer- uh, Justin Martyr and Irenaeus both. But Justin Martyr talks about how we are to obey the laws of the land, but not when it comes to burning incense to Caesar and worshiping him. They made a distinction, and that's the distinction we make as well. And Paul makes it really clear. In fact, uh, look at verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, meaning so you don't suffer needlessly, but also for the conscience's sake, so you can know that you're obeying God and doing what's right before God. Well, what about taxes, though, Joe? Because that tax money was, being, was used to crucify Christ. That tax money was going to take Paul's heads off. That tax money was filling the Roman government who had an emperor who believed he was God. So we don't, certainly we don't have to pay taxes. When they said to Jesus, do we, are we pay taxes? Jesus said, give me a coin, right? He says, whose image is here? Caesar's. He says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. If it's his money, give him his, give him his taxes. But render to God what is God's. Because whose image are we made in? God's. Give him your whole life, whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. He's first and foremost. Paul, verse 6, for because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them. Tax to whom taxes due. Custom to whom custom. Fear to whom fear. Honor to whom honor. Isn't that interesting? And this is the Apostle Paul. By the way, when he's talking about the Roman government, which was insidious in many ways. I mean, it wasn't just Jesus. It was Peter who was later crucified upside down. But Peter didn't take arms, you know, and say, let's fight against the Roman government because I'm going to be crucified upside down. Paul didn't take up arms against Nero. To be, you want to be really brave? Obey the scripture and say, hey, you know what? Take my head, but you can't take my soul, you know? Because to be absent of the body is present with the Lord. That's true faith, amen? Now, if someone breaks in my house and tries to harm my wife, kids, grandkids, they're going to, they I've, got, I've got a big God, amen? I've got a couple, some big guns. I've got some other guns that work pretty good. I've got some uh, big dog, you know? I've got a wife who could be gnarly, okay? 
especially if you come at the wrong time. No, she's past menopause. I'm kind of messing around there, you know. <laughs> but, you know, we got to, you know, but I'm going to protect my family, you know. You know, because guess what? I read a scripture, I can protect my family. Amen? But at the same time, when it comes to the gospel and the government coming against Christians for the gospel, I don't see them taking up arms. That happened over and over again. Now, it's interesting. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Talking about, you know, weapons of our warfare, it says, are not carnal or physical, but they're mighty through God that's pulling down strongholds. Amen? We wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's our, that's our battle, amen? It's about winning souls and saving them out of the fire. And that should be our main focus as Christians. Amen? Some are like, well, we've got to fight the new world order. order. We've got to kill the Antichrist. Really? Do you know the new world order coming under the Antichrist is a judgment from God, and you're basically fighting the judgment of God? Do you know it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 of the Antichrist? It says when he comes. Remember the movie The Omen? Some of you saw that that are older. The Catholics were trying to kill the little baby Antichrist. Well, guess what? Biblically speaking, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says that he's, it's a judgment from God, the Antichrist. It says that God gives people over to a lie. It says he sends them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie because they, had, they did not love the truth, but they loved wickedness. The pleasures of wickedness more than God's truth. So because they reject God's truth and they're given over to hardened hearts, God allows the Antichrist to come and they take his mark and they're doomed. So I'm not going to fight against judgment. I'll expose it. I'll say, you take that mark, you're doomed. I'll say, we've exposed the new world order most, more than most churches by far. And I'll continue to do so. But I know what's going on biblically is God's allowing this to happen. And then he'll defeat the Antichrist just like he defeated Pharaoh at the end of the book of Revelation. He'll defeat the Antichrist to get all the glory. Amen. To show he's the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. Amen. That's what that's about. Not about us. Like I killed the Antichrist. No, you didn't. God's not going to allow him to be killed because he's going to have that pleasure at his second coming. Amen. Now, so it's interesting when you look at these passages of scripture. And by the way, there are some today that believe in kingdom dominionism. Kingdom now. Reconstructionism. That we're going to take over the government for Jesus. That is so unbiblical. Read the book of Revelation. Read Mark 13. Read Matthew 24. Read Luke chapter 21. Read the book of Daniel chapter 9, 11, 12. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. You know, we don't want to put our own agenda and then stamp Christian on it and say, look, this is what Jesus wants to do. Where we legislate Christianity and we rule. No, read the book of Revelation, man. The saints, the saints are going to be overcome. It says the beast is going to make war against the saints and overcome them. You know, and those who are going to go into captivity and go into captivity, those are to be killed with the sword, be killed with the sword. So guess what, man? The, you have victory in the, new, in the book of Revelation. You know how you have victory? You, don't, you, you, you put your trust in the blood of the Lamb. You continue to have the word of your testimony, and you do not live your life unto death. You allow yourself to even be killed. It talks in Revelation chapter 14 when it says not to take the mark of the beast, or you'll be burning forever. And then it goes in chapter 15, it talks about those who refused to take the mark of the beast and were killed. It says they got victory over the beast. Isn't that interesting? You get victory by following Jesus' example and shining the light and not, Paul said, I didn't love my life, you know, and count it dear to myself. That's radical faith, man. You're saying, I'm trusting you, Jesus, that you're ultimately in control and I'm going to reign with you when you come back. And absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. So generally the Roman government, though, and their laws, Paul's saying, are for good. Okay, they have some messed up laws too, okay? But 
Don't think the early Christians weren't concerned about the Roman government spreading throughout the earth and taking over the world. Some of the early Christians felt that Nero was the Antichrist. You know, in hindsight, they're like, oh, Revelation, oh, maybe he was the Antichrist. He wasn't the Antichrist because Revelation was written after Nero. It's ridiculous. It was written in the 90s. But they were concerned certain emperors may be the Antichrist after the book of Revelation was written. And the Roman Empire could represent the Antichrist. Couldn't have been 70 AD like the preterists say because the book of Revelation was written after 70 AD. But my point is this. They still were obeying the laws of the land unless they were called to burn incense and worship Caesars. And they were really cautious about making sure there weren't uprisings that would distract people from the gospel of Jesus Christ because they understood that they were ambassadors representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, Peter also makes mention in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. Uh, he talks about uh, making sure that we obey the laws of the land in 1 Peter. Like, for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Same thing Paul was saying. Submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. That's generally what government does. But guess what? Because people are corrupt, governments become corrupt. And when a government becomes so corrupt, like the Roman Empire, eventually, boom, God is done with it. They fell. Like the USSR, eventually, boom, gone. Nazi Germany, eventually gone, right? Communist China will be done someday. Okay, believe me. Okay? In fact, it's interesting. Peter says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king, now it says, for the Lord's sake. You're doing this for Jesus. It's about Jesus and glorifying him. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials as appointed. That's what I was reading. But also, he says, for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do what's right, right? But listen to this. In 2.13, it is God's will that, you, that, that your honorable lives, listen to this, it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Did you catch that? You're, you living an honorable life is supposed to silence those who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, check this out, you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. As his ambassadors that are here, we're supposed to obey the laws of the land, right? Now we're free, but don't abuse your freedom to where people can find an accusation against you. Amen? Do you understand that? It's so clear. There's so many scriptures that are so clear on this. Now there's other times where the government will tell you to do something that's contrary to God's will. Absolutely. And when the government tells you to do something that's contrary to God's will, Hands down, flat out, straight up, I'm going to disobey the government. I'm saying this knowing I'm on videotape. Hi, government. I love you guys, but Jesus comes first. You know, or do I look in this camera? I love you guys, but Jesus comes first. So, for instance, when Pharaoh was having the babies killed, right? What happened? The midwives and Moses' mom. And also, we read Hebrews 11. It's, it's both his parents. They built a little... Little boat, actually. That's what it means in the Hebrew. Just is like a picture of the ark, you know? And sent him downstream. And they saved, tried to save him. You know, they did. When Joseph married, Herod wanted baby Jesus and all these babies killed. Did they obey the government? Yes or no? They disobeyed the government, man. They fled into Egypt. Amen? And Daniel, when they told him he couldn't pray, facing Jerusalem, he couldn't pray to the one God, right? 
Did he obey the government? Yes or no? No. And guess what? He was following the laws of the government. He'd do as best he could until they contradict God's word. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were obeying the laws of the government. They were officials in the government like Daniel was. But when they, say, when they were told you have to bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar, did they bow down to the image of Nebuchadnezzar? Yes or no? Absolutely not. No way. In the book of Acts, when the apostles are preaching the gospel in a certain city, the magistrates got a hold of them and they gave them a huge, painful whipping, man, breaking open their backs and bloody. And afterwards, you know what they said? Did they say, well, you know, we got to obey, man. Let's stop preaching the gospel. I guess Jesus had a lot. Let's just talk about a social gospel now and we'll try to make it acceptable and we'll just only help the poor and that'll be it. No. They said better to obey God rather than man. And they went right back into that city and preached the gospel all over again. Amen? I love that scripture. Acts 5.29. It's one of my memory verses because that's my position because it's a biblical position. Better to obey God rather than man. Now you have to discern what does the scripture say is from God and what does the government say and where does it contradict God's, what God's word says. And we're going to get into that a bit. Later on in the book of Revelation, I alluded to this already, but we're warned in Revelation chapter 14 because we read in Revelation 13, 16 through 18 that he, the false prophet, causes people to worship the beast. He causes everybody, free and bond, right? Poor and, and rich, you know, slave and free to take a mark on the right hand or their forehead in the name of the beast, the number of his name. And no one could buy or sell unless he has the number of the beast. And the number of the beast is 600, three score and six, which is, or 666. But guess what? Revelation 14, the very next chapter says, anyone, anyone who takes the mark of the beast or the number of his name, they will suffer eternal torment, it says, in fire in the unmixed wine of God's wrath, and there'll be no rest day and night forever and ever for them. So we're warned not to obey the government when the beast is ruling through a new world order. That Then we say no. We're not called to try to kill the Antichrist and impose Christian law everywhere, but we're called to refuse to take the mark of the beast. And if you take it, and unfortunately some professing Christian leaders are saying, well, you could take it, but if you take it, if you repent later, you'll be saved. Nowhere says that you're going to repent later. In fact, it talks about God giving people over to hardest of heart like Pharaoh's day. And people being so hard, after they take the mark of the beast and they get a grievous sword, they, they, they blaspheme God in heaven. There's no change of heart. So it's, it's uh, deceptive to let somebody know, well, you can maybe repent later. Because you take the mark of the beast, you're basically going to get such a hard heart that uh, you'll be blaspheming God later. So don't ever take that mark and don't be deceived into thinking that you can take it. So I've given you five, six, seven examples or so of disobedience to the government when it comes to, and guess what they're all based on? Every scripture I went to, either spreading the gospel or worshiping God. You're told you can't spread the gospel. How many of us Christians, how many Christians have spread the Bibles into China when it was illegal? There's Chinese Christians being persecuted all over China right now and jailed and disappearing in many cases because they're spreading the gospel everywhere. The gospel's been spreading like wildfire there for some time. And we're all about that. We're all for that, you know? If our government tells me that I can't share the gospel anymore, you might as well lock me up because I'm going to still share the gospel, you know? And God, may God give us grace to where we never change from that conviction. Amen? Hey, we're here just a short time, guys. Our lives are vapors. Don't fear man. The Bible says, don't fear man. What can man do to you? Amen? I can, you can, it says, they'll behead you. Man, you get beheaded? What's happening one second later? In God's presence. Praise the Lord. 
Amen? Well, what if they torture me for three years straight? That's different. That'd be tough. Lord, give them grace. Give us grace. Amen? You know? I told my wife, she goes, we're talking about you getting old. It's hard when you get older. And, you know, she goes, I don't want to go to nursing home when I get older. And I'm like, yeah. I go, I joke about, send me to Afghanistan or wherever, you know, preach the gospel to Muslims, you know, when I get really old, you know. And she goes, that would be like suicide, though. I go, no, they may torture me for three years. It may not be a good idea. <laughs> so uh, we were having that talk yesterday. It's kind of funny what we talk about. But anyway, 2 Corinthians uh, 6.3, kind of interesting. Paul says, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path. So let's say I walk around. I've got this Jesus bumper sticker. That's not a sticker. I got my license plate. It's J-C-Y-W-H. That's Jesus, Jesus Yahweh. He's God. Amen. That's, that's just how I witness, one of the ways I witness. So, and I've had a lot of people, hey, what, whoa, some people, Christians are great. I love it when JWs go, come behind me because yeah, we're saying Jesus is God. But guess what? So let's say I have that there, but, you know, I refuse, but at the same time I refuse to wear a mask. I go into Costco, you know, give people hugs and stuff. I, hug, I see people all the time that I haven't seen in a while, so I try not to give the free hugs and everything. And, and you know, and I said, praise the Lord, and, and that would be freaking so many people out, and, they, and it would give Jesus a bad name because they would think that this Christian could care less whether he's spreading this disease because that's their perception, whether the numbers at 65% are accurate or not. So listen to what Paul says. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path. Why, Paul? So that our ministry will not be discredited. 2 Corinthians 6.3, we put no stumbling block in anyone's path so our ministry will not be what? Discredited. Do you catch that? That's heavy, guys. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says, be careful, however, that your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. 8.13, therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat again, so I will not cause him to stumble. Now, that's heavy when you think about it. Because Paul deals with eating meats or not eating meats. And Paul knew he had the freedom to eat meat. In Corinthians, it has to do with whether meat has been sacrificed to idols. That's the context. In Romans 14, Paul deals with the meat issue too. And it has to do more with purity of meat, whether it's pure or not, and whether Christians can eat it. And there's different viewpoints that Christians have at that time. Because some are wondering if they should still keep the dietary laws from the Old Testament and believe they ought to. And Paul's trying to get them to understand we're not under the law of Moses, you know. Uh, some are concerned about purity issues. And it's kind of interesting when we think about it because in Romans 14, Paul's dealing with three issues. Day of week to worship. Paul says one man esteems one day above another. One man esteems all days alike. And some believe to, you can eat, some believe you can't eat. Paul says he knows that eating something sacrificed to an idol in first, in, to the Corinthians is nothing. And he says in Romans, he knows that he can eat meat, biblically speaking, okay? In fact, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the first few verses, first four verses, that there would be doctors of demons that say you can't eat meat. So he gets into the doctrine of what's right and wrong. He wants people to be understanding what the truth is. But when it comes to your brother who hasn't been educated, he's, he's kid's gloves. So it's a cause of stumble. And I think it's heavy because I was reading uh, Justin Martyr, a few months back, and I thought it's amazing because Justin Martyr is talking about these issues, and he's saying, if a believer doesn't understand this issue, we're sensitive around him, and he could disagree with us on these issues, he's still part of the fellowship. But if he knows the truth, and he's teaching other people, for instance, that they can't eat meat or keep the Sabbath, or they have to keep the Sabbath, and, they, and we teach them different, and he continues to do it, 
then we excommunicate him. That's talking about these kinds of issues. I thought that's interesting because uh, that's our perspective. If somebody came in here and said, you have to keep the Sabbath or you're doomed, we'd say, hey, we love you. This is what the scriptures say. He still disagrees. We'd say, mm, sorry, you got to leave because you're teaching a false doctrine. If somebody else come here and they think they got to worship on Saturday, but they don't know better and they worship on Saturday, they come visit on Sunday and that's just their conviction and, we, and they praise God, that's fine. You esteem one day by another. We all like you want to keep the Sabbath. Great. Just don't teach you. You have to keep it to be saved. Amen? So I'm saying all these teachings are floating around. So it was hard in those days, harder than it is now. And these were issues that they could at least even talk about biblically. Day of worship, Old Testament. We're not under the law of Moses. We're in the law of Christ now, New Testament. But guess what? Uh, days of worship, you know, eating, you know, not eating pork, things like that came up. The issue, another issue was wine, whether you can even taste a drip of wine, you know. But guess what Paul said? Anything not done in faith is sin. So he was concerned a brother could be led into thinking he could do something because other people were doing it, but he thinks it's wrong deep down. That you could be leading them into living a life where he feels like he's in rebellion to God, but he's doing it because you're doing it. That's why Paul wants there to be biblical education, but he also wants us to be an example in an intermediary period before that person is aware of the truth. So that means go the extra mile. So Paul says that he'd rather not eat anything that would cause his brother to perish. And he goes the extra mile, and he'd rather not drink in front of someone who thinks you can't drink because he, doesn't, he said, I don't want that cause that brother to perish or eat something that would cause that brother to perish because all of a sudden he thinks he could drink. Uh, and Paul wasn't getting drunk. Paul said drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. So don't be thinking he's not getting drunk. Definitely can't get drunk. He says you won't enter the kingdom of God. But Paul knew he could have some, a little bit of wine. He told Timothy, take a little wine uh, with, mixed with the water, right, for your frequent stomach ailments because Timothy, it sounds like, was trying to say no wine at all, trying to be perfectly abstinent. But guess what? They had amoebas. They had, or they had diseased water like going to Mexico. So Paul says, take a little wine too. Now, you can have a little wine. So your stomach problems. So it's important to understand this, that when this is all being parsed, Paul's really concerned that you use your liberty because you know that you can have a little bit of wine as long as you're not getting drunk. Paul said a puny amount. Literally in the Greek is what it means to, uh, in Timothy when he says that. And by the way, that's kind of interesting because today, well, they drank wine in those days. Do you know our wines today, if you go buy it, are fortified. That means there's extra alcohol put in them. Don't think it's the same thing, guys, at all. Okay, be very, very, very careful. It's a whole other message though, amen? But I want you guys to understand this, and I think it's very imperative that we get this, is Paul went the extra mile. He didn't want to cause his brother to, brothers to perish, you know? And I remember I th- told, some of you guys heard the story. I was at my father-in-law's 50th birthday party some years ago, and I was, a guy talked to me for an hour, a guy named Randy, nice guy, about how it's so wrong to eat, eat meat. And our teeth are made a certain way. I'm thinking, man, I got a couple of sharp ones, though, dude. And I'm just listening to them. Benjamin Franklin wanted our state bird, or the, the bird of the country to be the, the, you know, the, what do you say, the turkey and not the eagle, the bird of prey. You know, there's not really good documentation, but that's what he was fighting for, though. So it's interesting. And I listened for an hour, and then we get in line to eat. And I'm right next to him in line. I'm like, you see, all oh, this good meat. I love meat. And I'm like, oh, man. So I just filled up with vegetables to not be a stomach block. Just go the extra mile. And he's right behind me, and I looked at, he's skipping the veggies. He's got a f- plate full of meat. I go, hey, dude, what's up? He goes, oh, I don't go by that. <laughs> Put all my veggies back. Well, <laughs> 85% of them back, you know. Got some meat, man. But anyway, but I, I try to go the extra mile, you know, and, 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 and you know, walk in, in love and in kindness and so forth and, and trying to, you know. And by the way, going the extra mile. You know, the Romans government said you have to go a mile. Somebody tap you on the shoulder. Hey, take my bags. Take my backpack for a mile. That could be hard work. <sighs> and guess what? You're busy. I got to go take care of the kids. I got to go do this. Nope, going for a mile for me. That's the law. 
That sounds like government overreach to me. Guess what? Jesus says if you're asked to go one mile, go what? Two miles. What's he doing? He wants us to be good ambassadors. Amen? So if somebody has to go two miles, it's pretty easy for me to wear a mask. I wear one when I go shopping. I would wear one when I'm going shopping because I want to eat, but I'm not going to wear one if I have to go to church. Jesus is more important than shopping. Amen? Amen. And if you could wear one shopping, I'd encourage you, but I get claustrophobic. I feel like I'm dying. Well, then if you feel like you're dying and you're socially distanced and you take it down, we're not going to condemn you because we're going to have some liberty here too. Amen? But we're going to encourage you to wear your mask and you can. Amen? Now, one of the heaviest things to me about this whole issue, and to me, this is the main text that really, when I was praying the Lord to show me, this text came to my heart. And then when I looked at it more closely, I'm like, and looked at the history behind it, I was like so blown away. Go to Matthew chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And when you get there, go to verse 24. We follow Jesus' teaching because we're Christians, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen? But we also seek to follow his example. He always, remember everybody was wearing, some of you younger people won't remember, it wasn't too long ago though, WWJD stood for what? What would Jesus do, amen? Well, what did Jesus teach? And what did he leave by example? And if he, now watch what he does here. It's pretty powerful. Chapter 17, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax, it's a temple tax to pay the temple. And by the way, keep in mind, this is the same temple that Jesus took a whip into and overturned the tables, right? And said, you're making my father's house a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. He did that at the beginning of his ministry. He did that at the end of the ministry because it had become corrupt. So you're paying a tax to people that are corrupt in there. And that's the context here. And by the way, in 70 AD, about 30 years after Christ was crucified, what happened? God brought the Roman government in there to destroy the temple because Christ had paid for our sins and it had become corrupt. And it pointed to Jesus in the gospel. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? They want to know. They're trying to find something on Jesus. Does he not pay the two drachma tax? And keep in mind, he knows that the, the temple taxes, people are misusing it and everything else, right? Jesus knows that. But guess what? He said, Peter said, yes, because he knew Jesus did pay that tax. You have to keep in mind, a lot of people didn't. The Essenes, the Qumran community, they'd only pay once a year. By the way, they would have to pay about a month after this at Passover, when they went to the Passover festival once a year, at least that much, but you'd go and pay that. But they would go and visit regions earlier, like Galilee or Capernaum, a month earlier to get the tax. And that's what's going on here. And Jesus and Peter are from Capernaum. So he said, yes, he does, basically. He came into the house, and Jesus spoke to him first, saying, now Jesus brings, up things, brings this up. What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? Who do they collect them from? The sons of their sons or their strangers? When Peter said, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. Sons are exempt. They don't pay the taxes. However, look at what verse 27 says. Very key here. Very, very pertinent to what we're going through right now. However, so that we do not offend them. Go to the sea and throw in a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will uh, find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. He's teaching Peter a lot of lessons here. In other words, guess what? I'm going to provide for you, even if it's miraculously, Peter. But he says, pay the tax. By the way, guess who else didn't pay the tax? 
Jesus is not a son of God, by the way, guys. He's the son of God. And he says, pay the, we need to pay the tax. Because he has to, by law, no, he's a son of God. And others weren't paying it, but he says, pay it. By the way, did you know who else was, you know who was exempt from paying that tax? Rabbis. Jesus is a rabbi. They, even his detractors would call him rabbi, teacher. He's not just rabbi. You know who else was exempt? The priests, the Levitical priests were exempt. They were exempt. Got it, bro. They were exempt. But Jesus is not just a priest. He's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Amen? But he still pays the tax. Why? He tells us exactly why. So we don't what? Offend. We don't offend. So whether the numbers are 65% that keeps people from dying or 6.5%, right? It's wearing a mask is not causing me to break the scripture. Do you understand? But I could radically offend a lot of people. We got a letter from a brother here who has a condition and is concerned that we're following the law here. We have an African, we have several African-American people that come to our fellowship and praise God. We have such a mixed fellowship. I always praise God about that. But there was one couple who said they were concerned about going out because black people have more chance of getting it and coming to Blessed Hope. They weren't saying because of the mask issue. They were just concerned. And, you know, people that are older die far more likely or people with heart conditions or people with diabetes. Okay, I have an 84-year-old mom. Shouldn't we be concerned and walk out of love? Is it more loving to wear a mask or not wear a mask if you're offending people and they think you're spreading the disease or some people can possibly get it from you more likely? To me, it's a, it's a very easy decision because when I see Jesus do this, guys, to me, it ends the argument. It's like, I mean, I could go through a bunch of different scriptures. In fact, I can show you scripture after scripture after scripture where Paul says that we as Christians need to be above reproach. In fact, over and over again, we read 1 Timothy 3.2 for elders. Now the overseer must be above reproach. 2 Timothy chapter 3 also says, an overseer then must be above reproach. He must have a good reputation with those outside the church, okay, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. These men also, deacons, he's talking about first must be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. You know what the word reproach there means in the Greek? It's a Greek word that means to be innocent in regard to the law. First and foremost is this meaning. And he's talking about outsiders here, the context, and how we appear to outsiders. It means to be innocent in regard to the law so you cannot be charged or rebuked by another person. That's pretty heavy. And it's not talking about you're going to have absolute perfection. None of us are going to be perfect. There's going to be a time or many that you're going to probably need to be rebuked as a Christian. Amen? But guess what? Well, that's for you elders and deacons. No. He tells Paul, let no one look down on your youthfulness. A little bit after that, he says, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself as an example to those who believe. Leaders being above reproach and seeking to be above reproach are examples to everybody else in the congregation. And when you have an example, that's what you're supposed to follow. In fact, we read in Hebrews 13.7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God, consider the outcome of their faith and imitate their faith. So we're all supposed to be above reproach. In fact, there's scripture speaks specifically to all believers in Colossians 1.22. It says, present that, that Christ died to reconcile us to himself and that he might, quote, present you holy and blameless. That's you and me. And above reproach before him. So he wants to present us above reproach. So we're supposed to live lives that are above reproach, not just before God and before one another, but before the outsiders. Do you understand? 
And that means there's no legal accusation they can make against us. The last thing you want to do is turn people away from the blood that was shed for them because they're not thinking about the blood. I want someone, when they reject me, I don't want them to reject me because I flaunt not having a mask in front of them and I, that becomes my main issue and I'm doing all kinds of things on mask. I want them to reject me because I lift up the name of Jesus and say, you need to get right and repent, man, because you're in rebellion to him and he died for our sins and, and I, as, as one sinner that's been saved by the grace of God, I want you to be saved. I want you to know Jesus who died for your sins. Amen? And by the way, bros, don't let get it cut off at 1135. You know, just don't do that. We could pay for the extra five minutes, right? Uh, because when I got something in my heart, I got to share it, man. I say that sometimes it just gets cut off with the server we use or whatever, and we've discussed before. Just let it roll because when people hear the word, only because last time it got cut off, at, and I'm like, what happened? Some people were complaining, like, why is it cut off? I'm like, so sorry if we get cut off, guys. But sometimes I've got to say what's burning on my heart, and this is one of those times. We want to make sure that when we suffer, we suffer because of the name of Jesus, not because we want to flaunt our own rights that we believe that we have. Amen. Let's lift up the name of Jesus. Let's make it all about Jesus. Amen? I think we'll still get done before 1135. I'm going to try to be a good boy here. Let's open up our cup. Open up our uh, bread on top of the cup. Pastor Steve and I were...